If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Selma, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 198 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Jawaskin. Great to have you back for another Classic Conversation. My guest today, originally hailing from the great state of Michigan, Rose Abdu. You love Rose and Hacks, Gilmore Girls, That's So Raven, Reboot. Rose is amazing. She's hilarious. And that conversation is coming up in just a few seconds. And in these few seconds, I want to direct everyone's attention to last week's interview with the amazing Adrian Barbeau. We dove deep into her career. Amazing conversation. If you haven't caught that one yet, definitely check it out. But now, without further ado, my conversation with the amazingly hilarious Rose Abdu. Enjoy. All right. I'm excited to introduce my next guest, actress sculptor improv ninja is it okay i called you a a ninja sure (laughs) loved her in hacks reboot gilmore girls parenthood and a million other things i'd love to list but i want to get to the interview if you have eyes you've seen my next guest rose abdu hello hello very nice to be here with you oh so great to have you on the show i'm a big fan and i'm excited oh go green go white Michigan. So we're both from Michigan. And so that's exciting. I, I love talking to people from Michigan. There's so many. There's so many. There's so many people. Me from too. Michigan. And it's fun because Reboot actually um, has three of us that I know about. Keegan, Michael Key is Detroiter and Judy Greer and myself. Yeah. So we've got the Michigan connection with the show, too. That's super fun. So you went to SL. I went to North Farmington. I went to Southfield High. Oh, you went to Southfield High. OK. Yeah. Southfield. All right. So you went to Southfield High. I went to North Farmington. I loved growing up in this area. It's such a nice, the Midwest is so nice. Yes, it's beautiful. When friends post things on Facebook, this time of year, especially with, we went to the cider mill or the fall colors. I get so jealous. I I really miss it. I want to be there. It is. It's so fun. It's like the Franklin cider mill. I don't know. There's a million different cider mills, but But that's the one that is the, that's the gold standard. As far as I was concerned, I know the cinnamon donuts. Ah, so good. They don't have their parking lot, right though. They don't know Um, the the in and out. It's, it's a lot of good places have crappy parking lots. You notice that? Yeah. They just, it's part of it. You got to fight for your, your donuts and cider. (laughs) How bad do you really want to be here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So your roots, MSU, it all kind of started at Michigan State. My daughter, my oldest daughter, went to MSU. I got a split family, one U of M, one at uh, MSU. You look so young to have a college-age daughter. I have a college-age and a graduate. Wow. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Thankfully, we both look very young. So that's <laughs> we got that going for ourselves. So how did you get into your, your love of theater that led to Second City? Can you talk me through a little bit about the uh, origin story of Rose? I had a wonderful teacher at Southfield High named Virginia Bortz, and she was really encouraging 
to me. And I did, you know, all the high school plays. It was just fun. And I thought if I got to college and could find a way to keep doing it, I wanted to do that. But it wasn't like I went to Michigan State thinking I'm going to be a theater major. I really thought, you know, I had an interest in, I worked at the radio station at Southfield High, WSHJ. I wanted to be a newscaster. And then when I realized how many telecommunications classes I needed and how, for some reason, you needed a lot of math (laughs) to to get a telecom degree. And I was like, wait, economics? I have to take econ classes and math. And then I've told this story, but I I didn't want to wait. Back in the day at Michigan State, we had to register for classes in the racquetball court. And we really, there were huge long lines. It would take like three hours. You'd get up to the, you know, person with the little wooden box with the hanging Chad cards, you know, the punch cards. And they would say, sorry, it's closed. And so it just kept happening that I, it's almost like the universe forced me into, I look over at the theater table, nobody in line. They had plenty of classes. So I just kept taking more and more. By that time, I mean, I, I got a communications degree, but I had so many theater classes. It seemed like this is what I'm doing. Then I met a guy, I actually knew him since I was like five years old. He was friends with my, um, his sister was friends with my sister, Bill Ellison. And he's a Michigan guy who said, you know, you got to go to Second City. Not a lot of women doing it right now. And at the time, you know, there's 350 people auditioning for the troupe and maybe they were picking two women. So I started taking classes. I moved to Chicago from Michigan and I started taking classes at Second City. And I remember when I auditioned for Second City and the touring company, they were looking for a company of six people and they saw 350 people and they chose two women, Amy Sedaris and myself. So it was like, I was happy that I was so naive to not think, oh, the odds are stacked against me. I didn't even realize what I was going into. I just knew that I liked doing characters and I did it and I started working at Second City. So it was really like, I didn't get a theater degree. I didn't think, you know, oh, I want to pursue, you know, stage and do regional theater. I, I didn't even think about that. I just, I kind of hated waiting in line. So it just, it just kind of happened. And then I just kept getting uh, at Second City. I, I really enjoyed the work there and I met some unbelievably talented people. I was there during the Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Stephen Colbert, Stephen Carell, they were all in the companies at the same time that I was. And and we learned a lot from each other. It was an incredible experience. Would you happen to have a memory of a Chris Farley skit that was performed at Second City called Whale Boy? Yes, of course. Yes. I remember very well. And he he would do that character to make us laugh like all the time in the, you know, in the bar across the street. And he started doing whale boy. And then unfortunately he suffered an injury. He had a, he broke his ankle, I think just, you know, energetically as whale boy jumping around. And my friend um, Ian Gomez had to go in for him. But yeah, we have, I have actually artwork of the original whale boy from his friend who was a cartoonist. When I was in college, one of my best friends was from Chicago. So for our like fraternity things, we'd always go to second city to Chicago and to Second City. And I always, one of my always things I always talk about is I saw Chris Farley and I, was Tim Meadows there also? Yes, and, that was that same company. Yeah, And Tim Meadows the year before they went to Saturday Night Live. Right. And for years, we talked about that Whale Boy skit because it was probably the funniest thing. So we, funny. We just remembered laughing. He just, he would commit to everything. So like 120%. And I toured with him. We toured for about six months because he got plucked out to go to main stage so early. But being on stage with him, he had the audience in the palm of his hand and he wouldn't really like spend a lot of time rehearsing. I mean, a lot of it's improv, but he would just, he just had the ability, like you would think, oh my God, does he even know his lines? What's going to happen? And the lights would go up and he, he was so fascinating to be on stage with because it was like, it was magic. It was just watching magic and you didn't feel like he ever wasn't in control and the audience just adored no matter what he was doing. I got a chance to understudy a main stage show and work with him. And we, we were two kids that wanted to learn how to drive. 
we were both learning how to drive. I think the, the scene was about that. And I just remember every night he had to give me a box of cookies on stage. He's like, they're frookies, but they're frookies. He, it was so hard to concentrate and not laugh because he was just, he really was a genius. I, I, I can't say enough about working with him. I just loved him so much. And it, it's really, it's tragic that we didn't get to see what he could do as, you know, an older person. So tragic. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you were able to share those memories with me because they were like, it's, it's funny how certain things stick in your head. Oh, yeah. And he was a really hugely talented person. And his brothers are very talented as well. I know Johnny and, and Kevin Farley and their their whole family is just so funny. He would tell stories about his father in the van and we would just die laughing. Like he's just really, he was a very magical person. I loved him. I mean, the talent that you were with at Second City at that point or that, that are known, such known talents now. It's an insane, yeah. like Colbert, you mentioned Amy yeah. Sedaris. Colbert and Carell. I watched some, a clip of you at the 50th anniversary with all of them. It was so funny. Yeah. Colbert uh, goes back to his hometown and, he, and everyone sees him as a 50-year-old black woman. <laughs> As a woman, yeah. It's a really innovative scene. And Dave Rosowski's in that. I'm still in touch with some of those guys. And they're just, it was just so cool to like be with people that had similar interests and improvising with them was really a great learning experience. And I think that people, young people that ask me, you know, what should I do? Which classes should I take? I always, I always recommend improvisation classes because I think that helps in every area of performance. So you have to think on your feet. I agree. I, I did. St- well, I do stand up. I haven't for 18 years. So I've, I developed a little bit. I don't consider myself improv, but like where I got comfortable on stage. But I always right. wish when we had Second City, I chickened out in Detroit and like, uh, I regret it to this day. Like there's some there's some great people that came out of that Second City, too. I know. That's why I yeah, regret yeah. it also. <laughs> Wow. Well, just to you think that I cool would have been like there and like, you know, just, you know, even if I just see now they're it. opening one in New York. I just read that. Oh, really? Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Never too late. I never had the magic of Chicago, though, but Chicago is incredible. And that's another thing. I love the Midwest in general. Like I, I love Michigan, but I, I miss Michigan and I miss Chicago and I like L.A., but if the business wasn't here, I, this isn't a place I would ever choose to live. What do you miss most from Michigan? Did you were you like a Coney person? Yeah, <laughs> I was just telling my friend. She wanted a Michigan picture to put in her house. And I said, you got to get the one where it's Lafayette and American Coney Island right next to each other. So she bought that photograph to frame. My friend, Rachel Cameron, and I met her when I was 12 years old in uh, Letterly Junior High. But yeah, we we talk about Michigan things and Michigan food. I just love, I love the people. I like Midwestern people. I love the weather. I love the seasons. I love sweaters. I just love everything about it. It was just a beautiful place to grow up. It is. It is nice having seasons. I, I can't imagine not having oh, all yeah. of them. <laughs> Not fun. <laughs> I have all these coats. I'm like, when's it going to get cold enough to wear a coat? When, as soon as it gets like in the 60s here, we get, we whip out the coats, the, the Midwest girls. It's so funny. It is funny how different areas. I remember going to Miami once and I think it was 70 and they're all wearing light sweaters and they're apologizing yeah. to me from Michigan for the weather. Like, and I'm, the like cold weather, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's 70. This is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's so funny. Okay, so from Second City, this is this is where you you got discovered. You ended up in a Robert Zemeckis show. Yeah, I was at Second City, and an agent came to see my show, Therese Davidson, and she there was an audition for this CBS show. They looked all over California, I guess, for someone to play an ex mafia wife turned parole officer. And I just made a tape. I was doing a play. I had left Second City, and I was doing a Neil Simon play that was a huge hit. We were selling out every night, and they asked me to make this VCR tape of me doing Beverly Florio for ex-mafia wife turned parole officer. And I knew that Zemeckis was part of it. And I just did it because I thought, well, I'm doing a play now, but I I didn't want to say no to the audition. 
And the next thing I knew, they called and said, you got this role. It's a lead in a CBS series. And you have to, I hope you know how to drive because Robert Zemeckis just directed used cars. And he's sick of these New York actors that say they know how to drive and they don't. I go, of course they know how to drive. Did not know how to drive. I mean, I'm from Detroit and I never, I didn't learn to drive. Taking it in high school and I got, I was frightened because they took us on the highway, like our fifth day in the car. And uh, I moved to Chicago. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a car at Michigan State. I didn't have a car in Chicago. So I had to take driving lessons in three-hour increments to learn how to drive to play this mafia wife. And the first day on set, I had to get behind an Arizona patrol car and drive this car and hit a mark. I mean, it was like, it was crazy, but I did it. And I'm glad I did it. And I'm glad that that's my story of learning to drive with having to drive on camera. And I did eight episodes of the TV series, but it was really baptism by fire. That's awesome. I found a... 1993, January 19, 1993, Lansing State Journal article. Most of the article was touting you and your big move. But it says, she's a wonderful actress, but she also has this sense of what's funny, Robert Zemeckis. Wow. I didn't even know that. That's really nice to hear. I can send you a PDF of the article. Yeah, please do. Yes. And then uh, she's shown a lot of charisma and a lot of humor. Mark Harris of Entertainment Weekly. (laughs) I've always liked him. He's always nice to me. I like that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, this is all in this article. So that's pretty cool. It's always fun to find like old articles. Yeah. There's always, there's always gems sitting. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, good is the internet if it's not fine. Right. <laughs> remember back in the day, you'd have to go micro. I remember just remember the word microfiche. You'd have to go and like scroll in the in the library and like scroll through the like a film strip of articles. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm gonna have to put links in the show notes to microfiche, VCR, <laughs> and and what and, and here's and, how old she is. I'll say something. I, I'm I I'm I got all this too, and like that's exactly how I with your yeah. college experience. Same thing. Yeah. You used to go and get a card, and if they're I'll say some other antiquated things by this time. Yeah, the punch cards. People can't even imagine registering like that, where there was li- you know those little index cards with the holes in them. So crazy. I know it's it's uh, so so crazy. Sorry to interrupt. Have to take a quick break. I want to thank everyone for their support of their sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations. And that's how we keep the lights on. And now we're back with the spectacular Rose Ebdu. We're about to dive deeper into her career. And we're back. There's a lot of amazing shows you've been in. You're so blessed. You, you must feel so blessed to have worked in so many. But one yes. of the shows that I, that I, while digging into your IMDb, that I was reminded that you were in, which I think is one of the funniest shows ever that got canceled after one season, The Grinder. Oh, I love that show. I got to be a judge on The Grinder. I thought that show was a great show. You were in the pilot. You were in two episodes, but you were in the pilot. And so I started to rewatch the pilot. And oh my God, it was just as funny as I remember. It's kind of hilariously funny, like reboots hilariously funny, where it's like really serious, like hits you right in the gut. You can't believe the writing is so funny. I agree. And I think at that time, some of the criticism of The Grinder was it was so inside show business, but so is reboot. Like reboot, to me, you get it on a whole different level if you actually work in the business. There are so many jokes that people, I think, I don't know. I just think it's so much funnier if you actually work in the business. The Grinder was that a show within a show. And Reblo was great. Fred Savage. I've actually been directed by Fred Savage three, four times. He directed a Gilmore Girls and he directed a, a couple other things that I did. That's a Raven. He's a great guy. I mean, we really, I like working with those guys a lot. And I was supposed to recur 
more as the judge. So I was sad that it didn't go further, but it was really fun. It was just hilarious. It was just like, and there's so much subtle things, like when the grinder's coming and then suddenly you're wearing makeup. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then like he he touches you and the other person goes, you can't touch a judge. And you're like, I'll allow it. (laughs) I know. I love it. That was fun. I said to my friend, I love playing a judge. I got to be a judge on V also. There's something fun about it. First of all, you sit higher up than everybody else. You get to wear a robe. So comfortable. There's pockets for your candy. You get to sit at this big desk all day. You know, a lot of times working in television, there's so many takes. I don't think people have any idea how many times we do scenes over and over. And I did a show, I think, called Major Crimes. I had to walk down a hallway and open the elevator door 17 times. Like, it's exhausting by the, I mean, you know, it's still super, super fun. Don't get me wrong. And I'm still very grateful I get to do it. But getting to be a judge where you just sit there all day, it's the best job. It's so much fun. Well, hey, I was going to say, you've done it. I did notice as I started going, I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a lot of judges here. There's a lot of, you know, I find... Do you find that sometimes people just pick you for certain types of roles? Maybe. I feel like the people that, because I still have to audition and that I work with young people on Reboot now and they're like, you have to audition. And I think I say to them, you know, don't, don't ever think that it ends because I still audition for, like I just did Ghosts. I had to audition. I was in Michigan at my sister's house and I, everything becomes a taping room. We take the pictures off the wall. I get a blank wall. You know, my brother-in-law found an antique tripod and we rigged my camera, my phone to the top of it. And I send the audition in and that's how I got the role. And nothing's handed to me. Veep, actually, the casting director knew me because I had auditioned to play a senator on Veep and I didn't get it. And she gave me the role of the judge. And that was a direct offer. And I do think it's because somebody saw the grinder and went, get her, she'll be a judge. Yeah, sometimes that happens. She wears a robe so well. Yeah, she, she, ama- she enjoys the pocket. She amazes. Looks amazing in robes. The oh, but congratulations on ghosts. That's like that just broke that news. Yes, that was weird because they took all the pictures off my own Instagram. I was just meant because you know you're not supposed to tell anything about the plot or who I play. But I did say that I was enjoying time in Montreal with Rose McIver, who's just fantastic. And we realized that we took the same Zumba class and and we lived in the same neighborhood and we were all the way in Montreal, discovering that we only lived a few blocks from each other and. LA. Next thing I knew, TV line did a story and they had taken all the pictures off my own Instagram and said, we happen to know, like it was like a old fashioned, you know, gossip item or something. It was so funny. That show is really super popular. And I really, that cast is so fun. I can't wait. I think my episode's going to be on in November. That's exciting. That's super fun. That is super fun. Well, are you playing a judge? I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, not a judge. If you were, you'd be the best. Yeah. Anyway, I did want to just say I was upset about the grinder because it, it was clear that you would have been like. They always had to go to the courtroom. So I was really looking forward to it. One time they used another judge because I was working on a, another show at the same time. I can't remember which show, but they tried to get me and they had to use somebody else. That is uh, unfortunate. Uh, how fun was it to be on Curb Your Enthusiasm? I still think that of all the things I've done, that was one of my favorite ways to work because it was the closest I could get to Second City improvisation is just so much fun. I mean, I love taking the words of writers, like the writers on Reboot are amazing. And I I do love, you know, using their lines, having to make them my own. But there was something so exhilarating about Jeff Garland said, don't let Larry see me talking to you before we start this. So Larry said to me, all you need to know is you have Diane Keaton's phone number. I want Diane Keaton's phone number go. That's it. That's all they told me beforehand. And we made up everything else. So it was super fun for me because I I made him laugh a couple of times. They had a cut because he was really laughing, breaking character laughing. I just saw him at the Emmy party and he remembered everything. And that was many seasons ago. I mean, Curb's been on forever and it was the first season. I think the fifth episode named the interior decorator and I was the interior decorator. And he really, we laughed about doing the scene because 
Andy Ackerman was one of the directors and he used to direct Seinfeld. And he just whispered to me before the take, he goes, this time, try and make out with Larry. But he didn't tell Larry that I was going to do that. So what you see in the final show is me surprising Larry with trying to trying to kiss him. And it was just so funny. And I was thinking nowadays they probably wouldn't even do that because it would be considered like you'd need an intimacy coordinator or something. But it was just uh, he's so funny. We, we really had a ball. I love I loved that job. I thought it was really it turned out great. You know, a lot of times you do stuff and they cut a lot of stuff. They put almost everything we did in. So I, it made me happy. It was really funny. Just it was like your, that typical curb thing yeah. that happens where yeah. she gives the phone number, but it cuts right. out. <laughs> right, right. And then I'm like, I can't I can't do that. I can't. Tell. So that's to me. And that's a Spanish character that I to me imitating my own mother is from Dominican Republic. And I imitated my mother, a version of my mother. And that's a Raven and in Curb and now in Hacks. They're all sort of related with the accent. I enjoy that. You enjoy paying homage to your mom. and Yes. She's a very funny person. And she really, she said, when I auditioned for my best friend's wedding, the director was like, your character, it seems so real. I said, oh, well, it's actually based on my mother because I played the seamstress in my best friend's wedding. Another role that there were no lines and I made up lines based on my mother used to make people wedding gowns. So I said to the director, my mother actually does this. She fits people in dresses and she makes wedding gowns for people and he said, would your mother like to audition for me? I said, no, my, no, I'm not going to compete against my own mother. So I told my mother, she said, you know, honey, you are really stopping me from having another career. I could be on camera if, if, and she was totally kidding. She would not want to do that. But it was really funny that she goes, you know, imitating mama has given you a lot of, a lot of your career. You're very lucky to have mama to imitate. I was like, yes, I know. Did mama realize you were imitating mama before yeah. you let her know? <laughs> Well, I did a one person show and I would imitate her. And then she said to the people afterwards that came up to her, oh, when Chuck's like you, it's funny. And she goes, you know something? I don't realize I have an accent until I hear her talk like me. And then I say, oh, I have an accent. <laughs> I haven't met your mom, but now I feel like I know her. So oh, yeah. um, there you go. Oh, hello, Jeff. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. <laughs> she would say, oh, I love Farmington. They have such a good TJ Maxx there. <laughs> they do. She loves shopping. <laughs> She's 95. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, wow. she's still really funny. Oh, that's so funny. Did you get your humor from your mom? My mom and my dad. My dad was like really quiet, George Burns style funny, like very dry and very, he would say such funny things really quietly. Yeah, they were both funny. They were laughing all the time, my parents. My mother said the key to a good, successful relationship is you have to make it. Honey, you have to laugh at the same thing. Maybe other people don't understand the thing you are laughing at, but the two of you understand. And that's the key. So I always thought about that. And I actually have a very funny husband. He makes me laugh all the time. That's important. I listened, yeah. to, I listened to your Stronger Words speech. Oh, you did? Oh my gosh. You know more about me than a lot of people. <laughs> I found it. It was beautiful. And it was just how you just talked about your parents and how they define love and then how you paralleled it to the love you have with your husband and meeting him. And actually there was that one line about the dog in there that, that got me. Oh. The, they love you forever, but only break your heart once. Yes. My husband just said that. We actually have very dear friends that just lost their dog. And I, and he said one day, you know, they bring you joy a million times and they only break your heart once. That's so true for anyone who's lost a pet. And I hadn't ever had a pet until I met him. My mother was like, she let us have goldfish, but like there was never a dog. You know, we had that kind of house that was almost looked like a museum. It was so like organized. And I said, there should have been little velvet ropes across the doors and little brass plaques. And we got this beautiful dog and then he passed away of hemolytic anemia and it broke my heart. I thought I can never do this again. I could never sign up for this type of heartbreak again. But my husband kept saying, but remember all the joy that you've got. You don't get this. You don't get that without this part of it. So now we have another dog, Henry. And 
And I named him Henry. I know you were saying you have a little dog. I have a little, um, he's a Havanese terrier, they said. He's so quiet. So I love the scene in Goodfellas where Martin Scorsese's mother looks at Ray Liotta's character. She goes, Henry, what's the matter? You're so quiet. You don't talk much. You don't eat much. And that was the dog when we first got him. So I called him Henry because he reminds me of Henry Hill. So quiet. That's so funny. It's really sweet. And the day after we got him, Ray Liotta died. How bizarre. That is bizarre. Isn't uh, it? I'm going to have to internalize that one for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> My dog's name is Lola. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love the name Lola. I like having a dog. It's really different for me because I didn't grow up with a pet and they just stare at you. I just want him to talk so bad. But it's really it really is a fun thing to do to have one because you you talk to people that you would never have anything in common with, but they love their dog and you love your dog. So then you have something to talk about. Exactly. And exactly. And the heartache that you talk about, it's like it's it's nothing that people don't tell you that when you get a dog. Right. With a dog, the majority of the time, it's a choice when you right. have to, and at the end. And it's the hardest thing. It's just the hardest oh, thing. Just a heartbreaker. So, but then you just have to keep saying, but look at all this joy, this this being brought in my life. And in that speech, you talk about your husband open for Patty LaBelle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he never tells me anything. He like, I'll know him for years. And then all of a sudden he'll go, yeah, I, I did a show with her. And then she met my dad. She was really nice to my dad. I said, Patty LaBelle? Like, and then one day we were just having brunch and he goes, well, when Prince used to call up the show, he used to write for um, Steve Harvey, my husband, and he wrote for Martin Short. He said, well, Prince used to call, I go, wait, Prince, 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 like Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince plus Prince. And he said, yeah, I used to talk to him on the phone. So he had all these, like, he had lived a whole life before we met. We met at 39, we were 38 and 39. He's, he's met and worked with a lot of people, but he's really funny. And he actually um, is an animator and he draws on, he draws on napkins, but he also does other things. But his site, I love for people to know this because it's madanapkin.com and he does a lot of really cool um, drawings and makes me laugh every day. So people should know about him too. All right. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. I started to go down that, that rabbit hole. I found it because when I first read it, I thought it was Matt and then the A went to the last name and I'm like, what are the odds that Rose <laughs> And then when I clicked in, it's Matt. So, well, uh, speaking of, well, he knows Patty LaBelle and Prince, but you know George Clooney. That's right. So, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fun. Job. That's another one that I auditioned for. And I thought, oh, I have a day on a George Clooney movie. Then I go to the wardrobe fitting and she had so like 15 outfits. I said, how many days am I working on this? And she goes, oh, a month. So I didn't realize how big the part was because the audition was so small. I think I just had to say two lines in the audition. And he picked me off a videotape also. So I'm very lucky that I didn't meet him at the audition in person. He just knew from the videotape. He just said, I just knew you'd be the perfect person to play this film editor. And they actually introduced me to the real lady, Millie Lerner, who I played. She used to edit the footage for the the show. It was incredible playing a person who still was living and could tell me about the McCarthy era. David Strathair and I thought did an incredible job playing Edward R. Murrow. It was a very cool project and, I, and one of my favorite movie experiences for sure. That was Good Night and Good, good Night and luck. Good Luck. Yeah. Was that the first movie he wrote and directed, George Clooney? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. He's really fun to be around too. He's just a, a gas. He was friends with Richard Kind from Second City. So he used to visit. I would see him around Second City, but I didn't really know him. But I remember he was there. He would come, you know, he, when he was in town, I think he was still friends with some of the guys that worked there. So it was really like we had a very good shortcut of language. He's incredibly funny that people know that, but he's he's a person that I would definitely want to work with. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Sturge Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to have the opportunity. So I'm just vicariously living through you. But thanks for, thank you for sharing. He's a, for anyone listening, he's everything you want him to be and more, really. Is it when you said you're glad he's, he picked you off a tape, would it have been nervous to audition in front of George Clooney? 
No, I think it would have been funny because I know a friend of his, we have a friend in common and that would have been funny to talk about with him. I miss the days, you know, I was just telling someone the other day, I miss the days of meeting casting people and producers in person because now since the pandemic, all the tapes are made in this room that I'm in right now and I have to send the tape in. So you just like make it on your phone and send it. The agents send it to the proper channels. But I've gotten, I've booked work that way. So I know it works, but I miss the in-person meeting the people and getting feedback from them and taking notes and stuff like that. I, I really miss that part of it. Live performance. There's an energy in the room, right? Right. Exactly. Because you're a theater person, right? At heart, right? right? So it's like- So it's your chance to do a little play that day for the people, you know? And that now I'm just doing it in my own little room. In a way, I I enjoy this too, because I get to do it my way. No one gives me any notes. I just choose the way I want to do it and send it out there. But but I do, I do like the live performance part of it. When I would do stand-up comedy and then I would try out for, you know, a festival or something in like an audition process where you're in a room talking into a mic that doesn't project right. and there's just three people there staring oh, at you. Hard. It's like, this isn't stand-up comedy. Right, <laughs> so, right. Very so, hard to do. So I can imagine just filming yourself. You have to really kind of, you have to put yourself into it, right? And really kind of yes. just, do you get to do it like multiple ways? Like, would you do it? Oh, I'm going to do it this way and then I'm going to do it this way or do you pick when one? I'm alone? Well, when you're shooting it. Yeah. And just in directing it when you send in a tape, I'm saying, do you get, yeah, like I'll do a take and then think, oh, that was too broad. Now let me do it again, more subtle. Then I send the two takes to my manager and he picks the one I was like, you pick that one. I thought you'd pick the other one. So it's like, you just have to just do it and hope for the best. But I, I'm really excited because I'm going to be working on a new show called Young Rock for NBC that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson is involved in it. And I just found out that I'm going to, I'm going to get to film an episode of it. And that was from a tape I just made right here in this little room. I hear he's the nicest guy in the world too. I can't wait. I hope I get to meet him. I don't know if he's going to be there, but I know this. He's, he's one of the producers on the show. That's pretty cool. Well, congratulations. All this breaking news. This is breaking news. And I thought I didn't sign anything that said, don't say anything. So I'm not telling you who I play or what the plot is. So I think it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. As we continue the competition between you and your husband and who you've met, Barbara Streisand's on your list. That's right. Barbara Streisand. Babs. So you got Babs. That's a movie. I actually was very, very ill for that audition. And I was so surprised that I got it. And I had just, I actually... This is terrible, but I'm laughing about it now, but it wasn't funny at the time. I had appendix cancer and I had to do chemotherapy. I had a session, a first infusion of chemotherapy. The very next day was the audition. My manager was like, you can't go. I go, I'm going. I mean, it was so good to have something to do, but I had a lot of after effects of being that sick and I did it. I was shocked. And then I, they called me again a month later. I had an audition a second time. And I got the part of one of her friends in the movie, The Guilt Trip. At the time, it was called My Mother's Curse, the movie. And we were to play Barbara Streisand's friends sitting around a table. So shooting that scene, if you see that movie, it took seven and a half hours to shoot that dinner table scene. We had to eat the roast chicken. I've never eaten chicken again since then, because when you eat roast chicken for seven and a half hours, you never want to look at it again. She was very kind and she knew I was just trying not to throw up the whole time. I was so sick and just thinking like, just don't barf on the table. And I'm eating chicken and pasta and we kept having to do it over and over and over again. So that was really a learning experience that you have to keep it fresh. You know, you have to make the audience think this is the first time anything's ever happened. And it's really like long to shoot. But you must be good at that too, right? Because even in improv, when you would redo like scenes, right? And that you would do like- You have to make it seem like this is the first time you're ever thinking this. Yeah, that's that's a skill in and of itself. I tell young people that do it, you have to make the audience believe you're just coming up with this in the moment. When at Second City, we created the scenes improvisationally. So they end up in the show, but they were created improvisationally. It can't 
seem like, oh, we're saying these same lines again every night. No, it has to come up like we're just thinking this up right now. When I started doing stand-up comedy, I was working with this headliner, J.R. Remick. May rest in peace. I'm watching him and he's holding a big beer and he takes a sip through with a straw of the beer and then kind of just makes a, a joke about what did I just do? Like, I like how ridiculous <laughs> it was to drink beer. And it, like they laughed. It was like hilarious. It was like whatever he said was hilarious. And I was like, I can't believe I witnessed this moment. Second show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. takes a sip of beer through the straw same thing i'm like oh my god so that's how well, that's how i learned nice. like kind of just witnessing and watching it and i was like oh and so that i always am impressed when you can see somebody do something multiple multiple times yeah sorry to interrupt but we have to take a quick break and now back to my conversation with rose abdu so it's been 10 years how how are you it's been 10 years since the guilt trip roughly Right. I'm good. I had negative, thank goodness, negative scans and I'm doing really well. And I, it's not lost on me that, you know, the year that I went through that challenge, I was telling someone that waiting rooms, doctor waiting rooms and casting waiting rooms are the same. There's like a row of chairs. There's a bunch of nervous people. It's really odd how similar the feeling, the vibe in the room is. So that year when I was sick, I think I, I ended up booking a lot of work because the door would open and they'd go, Rose, do your next, you know, the way they do when you're at the doctor, they call your name and you walk up. I was so happy. I was going through to not do blood work or get anything painful happening. I was like, wait, I'm just here to act. This is the greatest. So I feel like there was a freedom in that taught me to just be in the moment. And just, I'm, it's not lost. I mean, I'm very grateful for everything that's happened since then, because I know how differently this all could have turned out. Well, I'm happy it turned out and that you're a survivor and bless. Thank you. But that part of this journey, you also ended up on parenthood, right? And yes, and kind of paralleled a little bit. That's right. And that audition was August 1st. And I had finished chemo August 1st, the previous year. So I did go into that casting director. That's one of the advantages of getting to audition in person. And I said, I did the monologue and she was very complimentary. And I said, you know, I, I have to tell you this. I know exactly how who this woman is and I know how to play this because the monologue was so well written. I said, I went through this a year ago to the day and I got that. And I was supposed to do an episode or two. And Monica Potter was such a generous, lovely actress in that show. People are fans of Parenthood. She said, I want you to do this with me. I want you to be my chemo buddy. If my character's going through this, I want her to be with Gwen Chambers. So they ended up writing. I think I ended up doing five of them. And that was a really wonderful experience too. And they let us improvise quite a bit on that set. That was fun. That's awesome. That was an interesting show because it was based on the Steve Martin, Ron Howard That's right. movie, but it was right. such a different interpretation. So different. Yeah. Just a big family. And really, I, I really loved all those people. It was a great experience. And then Grace and Frankie got to work with Lily Tomlin and well, and Jane Fonda. I know. I really, that the disappointment in that was I love, love, love Sam Waterston. I think he's an incredible actor. But my scene on Grace and Frankie was just with him and the little dog. So I, I, I wish I could meet. I keep just missing her. I didn't get to see her that day. She wasn't there the day I was shooting my scene. And then I just did um, a fashion show for Allie Willis Foundation. And Allie Willis, the famous Detroiter who that wrote, you know, all those incredible songs for Earth, Wind and Fire. And I got to, I was an honored, honored to wear one of her outfits and just be in a fashion show on the 21st night of September, which was the perfect day to have the show. And Lily was there hosting it, but I, I was in the fashion show part and she was in the, and I just missed her again. So my goal, really one of them is to finally meet and talk to Lily Tomlin, who I've loved since I'm seven years old, fellow Detroiter. Well, not to rub it in your face, Please but do. I met Lily Tomlin once briefly for half a second. <laughs> oh, I love it. I think she was, she was doing search for intelligent life in the universe in Detroit. And it was 
I don't know, some events where, you know, you bought a ticket and she was kind of meandering around. And I I think I got the nerve to say hi. (laughs) I love it. She just seems so cool. I just love her. Yeah, she's a a classic. So Reboot, let's talk Reboot for a second. I I love this show. I discovered it because friends of mine on Facebook were like, this is the funniest show ever. This is the funniest show ever. I was home and I started watching it. And I think I was three episodes behind at the time. And maybe it was the three that they had released originally. And I just didn't stop. I just... Whatever I was doing, I just, I ran it right through. Oh, God. You binged it. And I'm all caught up. I'm all caught up too. But like your, that show is. I love this show. So funny. It's like one of those just so smart. You gotta, there's certain shows where you have to really watch. And like they'll love, and this, you really have to watch it. You have to pay attention. I think that people will watch the episodes more than once. You get something different out of it when you watch it the second time, because there's so much packed into it. There's so many subtle inside show business jokes in that show. I just love it. I love that character. And that's another one I did just from this little taping room. I created that character. I love that her name was Selma because when I did Laughter on the 23rd Floor after Second City, I did a show in Chicago called Laughter on the 23rd Floor, another Neil Simon play. And my character was an amalgamation of Lucille Callan and Selma Diamond, who both wrote for your show of shows. And I knew what that felt like to be one of the only women at Second City. It was like there'd be two women and four guys in every review. So you're always in a room full of guys trying to get your ideas across. So I knew what it was like to be like a female comedy writer in a room. And here I was playing it in the 50s. So my character in Laughter on the 23rd Floor said, you'll never believe what happened on Edward R. Murrow tonight. That's my first line. Then I got to do Good Night and Good Luck, also of that period. Now here it is all these years later, and I got to audition for Reboot, a character named Selma, who's an old comedy writer from back in the day. So it's all kind of come together for me. Right. You, Fred, Malamed, and George Weiner with Paul Reiser kind of leading, but like you're like yes. the old school. The old guard, right. Exactly. The old guard. So are you yeah. Jewish on this show? I kind of got the show. I I believe Selma is Jewish. I got a vibe. I I love playing the character because she, to me, she has to say something funny, whether the room, it was, the room is full of people or she was by herself. She's still going to, she still has to crack wise. Like she, she needs to say those lines, whether anybody's listening or not. And it's so funny. The last episode where you started talking about Tony Danza. (laughs) I wonder if he's seen it. Like if anyone hasn't seen it yet, I say something about Tony Danza. Has he, has he watched it? And in the earlier episode, when they talk about Chuck, I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, they talk who about doesn't Chuck like Lurie. Chuck Lorre? Has Chuck Lorre seen it? Like, are they, I want to know. Steve Levitan is the nicest guy. He's a Midwest guy. I found out he's from Illinois. He's from the Chicago area too. Is he friends with him? Like, I, I need to ask him next time I see him. Hopefully I see him again. Is it an inside joke where he's friends with him or are they arch enemies? Like, it's so funny to me, the kinds of people that they're picking out. Even the Gabe Kaplan reference just made me laugh so hard. The, the writers on that show are incredible. And when he said the line that I say to Paul Reiser about the 83 Sixers, the writer just threw that line out verbally. And I just said it that that is they've been very nice about complimenting what it's like to have improvisationally trained actors on set, because I don't need the line written down where I have to look at it a bunch of times before I say it. They throw it out and then you just repeat. We do different takes of the lines and they're all so those writers are incredible. I just love them. It's it's also funny just with uh, the newer woke 
Yeah, yeah. it's fun to be around them. And they teach me as as people, as young people, they've they've taught us a lot about what's politically correct nowadays and what isn't. So it's like a show within a show for us too, because we're learning from them as people as well as their characters. Right. And it is it's so funny. But I the layers of the show, like I rewatched the first show because I, I was like after I binged it, usually we have shows, my wife and I we watch together and then there's individual yes, ones. We do too. And yes. I didn't mean to watch I was like once I realized I'm like, oh, this is a show I should be watching with my wife. This is uh, right. So did you watch it again with her, I hope? I sat down and I said, I'm going to watch the pilot with you. And if you like it, you keep going and catch up and then we'll continue together, which is what happened. But in rewatching the pilot, I realized that the reveal at the end of the pilot, if you're watching, if you rewatch, there's a lot of clues that you would never, you would never catch. You would just never. That's right. That's right. You have to see it more than once. Yeah. But in going I back, agree. it was there. And I'm like, that's really yeah. clever. That's really no, clever. I like what you're saying, because hopefully if someone's listening that hasn't watched it yet, it's going to make them curious enough to tune in. I was so happy that Hulu, you know, it's not easy to watch TV nowadays. I want it. I love getting on a network show where I can tell, you know, my mother's friends that age of people like, what is this? What is it streaming on? What? I mean, if I didn't have John to fix, like he got me the Roku and taught me how to set up the Hulu. And the, there's just so many shows. There's so many different channels. And I'm still old school where I'm like, they're supposed to be channel two, four and seven. Right, right. So I just, I love that people are finding it because it's on Hulu. I think it's one of those things that people are really kind of talking about and they're sharing that they're watching it. Right. The downside of all those things, it's hard to find things. And probably the upside is you don't need as many people to watch to get multiple seasons. It's true. And hopefully, I really, really hope we get a season two because I would love to see where they take all the characters. Yeah, because we only did eight of them. All right. So they're they're pending. They got to do a season two. Everyone seems to be talking about this show. I mean, he's such a, I would think they'd want to be in business with him. I just love, I thought Modern Family was a great show too. I mean, every character, uh, I got to, I'll tell you one thing about, about Reboot is, and I want to just talk about Hacks for a second too, which is amazing, is I'm watching it and I'm like, I Google Reboot. And I'm like, because I go, this guy looks like Johnny Knoxville, but right. he's <laughs> but he's too good. I know. This is he's just I, this actor is just too good of an actor. Isn't he funny. Does he just he look- finally get a chance to do some real like? Per- he's the nicest guy. He came up to me at the party because we didn't, you know, our characters don't interact. And he said, oh, we got to do a season two so we can do something together. He's just been so nice to me. And he actually, I said to my husband, we just celebrated our 13th anniversary and I put it on Instagram. First person to wish us happy anniversary was Johnny Knoxville. I said, did you ever, that's what's so interesting about this business. Like, did you ever think we would like know Johnny Knoxville? He's so funny. And my husband, that's another movie that he said, you have to watch this. I said, I'm not going to, I know my taste. I'm not going to like it. And I could not stop laughing. He just always makes me laugh. Yeah. Uh, Jackass stuff is hilarious, but funny. I just it's didn't weird expect. And funny. I just didn't expect him to be such a good. I know, I know. I like, he's really good. And even yeah. Lawrence Lawrence Pressman is great too. Like for his, oh, he's fantastic. He's so funny. He's good in everything he's done. You're also in Hack, so you're like in two shows that I love at the same exact time, basically. Thank which, you. There are two shows that I said to my husband, I would watch both of them if I was in them or not. Like they're in my taste. That's the two shows that I would want to be in, and I am in. So that's really cool. Hack season that's two it. is better than mm-hmm. season one. And I say that yeah. is the when season two can be better than season one. Yeah, it's it, yes. Very special because, you know, with a lot of shows, they always call it the sophomore slump. It did not suffer from that. I think season two surpassed season one and the writing is super sharp. They're a great group of people to work with, too. And I was happy to be in as many as I was because they go on the road. And I knew that my character, you know, was back at the, the house. But then I was so delighted that. 
that Deborah Vance has an LA house that Josefina could show up. But now um, I'll be very curious to see where they take it in season three and what's going to happen. I know nothing. I know that they have asked me to do a few more of them, but I don't know what my character is going to be doing. Got it. So for sure, a season three and then. Yes. Yes. They must have had a plan. I find like if they have a plan, then your season two can be better. And that's not knocking. Season one is one of the best premiere seasons. of. I think they, they have a big overall plan and they were saving a lot of the things for season two that they thought up back in when they first conceptualized the show. They're so that's another group of people that are just so talented. I mean, they're really like, and they're very, they're very good about asking for suggestions. I don't think they end up using some of my improv, but the the freedom to work like that is it loosens up the scene and they, and it really does when you get to do a couple of takes where, you know, well, what would the character say? And you get to do it. It really makes it fun. I didn't really know Hannah Einbinder prior, but her, her and Jean Smart. Incredible chemistry. Amazing. Yeah. And they just met on that. You know, it's not like they knew each other for years. And you, you know, I guess it was perfect that they met because Deborah and Ava don't know each other either, but they are so good at playing off of each other. You just want to see what's going to happen with them next. I'm dying to know what, what's going to happen. I mean, Hannah, they, you know, I don't want to tell people what happened if they haven't binge season two, but HBO Max did say that they find that the audiences wait for there to be two seasons of a show before they'll get into it. So we had a lot more views of season one after season two came out because people want to make sure they want to binge something that there's more than eight of them or 10 of them. Well, also, cause they might have missed it. Right. I feel like hacks. I was I was in on hacks early. So I like sometimes like there's so much new stuff. Right. If I discovered hacks and found out it had gotten canceled, I mean, they didn't. But I mean, like before the season two, I may have not invested in season one. Right. 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 But when you when I you know, there's another season coming, especially now with three coming. You're like, oh, okay, there's going to be payoff and you can kind of. Right. 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 Dive yeah. in. You can get into it. Hacks is just another one, though. That the storytelling and it just—it's yeah. an incredible show and journey. I agree, and I love to be in something that's really the two women are the focus of it—a female-centric thing. And and I I really like that story of the two generations. That's what I think the two shows have in common: is the younger generation of comedians teaching the older generation, and vice versa. Yes, that's the cool nailed aspect. It. Of it. Nailed it. What are you most recognized from? Probably that's a Raven, the Disney Channel show. I mean, especially if I have makeup on, maybe less so now that I've let my hair go silver, but kids everywhere, like the kids that were watching that show are now the age where they are the salespeople in stores and handle counters at at restaurants and stuff. And sometimes they'll even say to me, you know, you were my teacher and I'll go think about what you're saying. (laughs) I was in Michigan, two different places this happened where they go, Hey, you were my Spanish teacher. I go in real life. Think about what you're really saying. And then they'll go, oh, wait a minute. I remember you from TV. So a lot of most of the time it's that's a Raven. A lot of times also it's Gypsy from the Gilmore Girls because I did so many of them and the Gilmore fans are fantastic. And they talk about fans that know the show. They know that show backwards and forwards. They've been, they finished the six seasons. True fans only like six seasons, even though there was a seventh. And then they start right back at the beginning. I know people that have watched that whole series so many times. That's awesome. You've been a part of so many cool shows. So it's awesome. I appreciate you hanging out with me and sharing all these stories. It's been super fun. Thanks for having me. It's always nice to talk to a fellow uh, comedian person as well as a Michigan person. Yeah, I wore my Detroit for you. Why did you feel at home? (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I wore, well, leopard print. I should have worn tiger print. I love tiger. I love the tigers. They were my favorite. I love going and watching. It's Mm -hmm. funny. I'm not a huge sports guy. I enjoy sometimes. And my, that's one of the things my wife loves most about me. (laughs) Yeah. I have to say that's like John. 
Yeah. Where it's like you just in it just enough. Your whole life doesn't revolve around it, but you still are a fan. I love it. Where do you hang out online? Where can people find you online? So my Instagram is Rose Abdu at Rose Abdu, just my name, R-O-S-E-A-B-D-O-O. And that's uh please come follow me. That would be great. Awesome. I'll put links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was very nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. Take care. That was the amazing Rose Abdu. If you guys don't watch Hacks and Reboot, those are her most recent shows that she's on, series rather. Those are both incredible series. Hacks is on Amazon Prime and Reboot is on Hulu. Both amazing, amazing shows. It was so great reminiscing about Michigan with Rose. Little Franklin Cider Mill shout out there. I'll have to call them and let them know. And on a personal note, reminiscing about that Whale Boy skit. Oh man, that's that's a skit that's lived on in infamy with me and my friends ever since we saw Chris Farley perform that live at Second City in Chicago. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me once again. I can't believe the interview's over. That means the episode is over. Episode 198 has come to a close. I want to thank again my amazing guest, Rose Abdu. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.